This is Dr. Mubeen Sayed with one more episode of Long Story Short with Dr. Bean from the FLCCC platform. So today's study is interesting. The authors in this study found and demonstrated that the SARS-CoV-2 virus can be present in people for months after the initial infection and replicating not the virus's RNA just floating around or not that this S1 protein is sitting somewhere. The virus itself and replicating present in the tissues for months after the initial infection. So the outcomes of this is of course that there is a concern that if the virus is present in the body in lower levels but for longer time, then what are the fallouts of that? So the symptoms and the issues that may occur in long term is a very important consideration. The second thing, as you know that in FLCCC, we keep going towards solutions. This study is a very important study to understand the importance of autophagy. Autophagy, as we have been discussing before as well, is an important trigger of trash removal from within the cells. And you would see in this demonstration today, in this study's review today, that the cells can actually be holding on to these viral particles as trash. And that trash is unable to be cleared by the cells. And if that is the case, autophagy could be one important aspect that would help. So with this context, let's look at the study together. So first of all, this is the FLCCC website. And if you can see here, there is a educational conference 2022 that is coming up. So go ahead and register. Down here, you would see more resources as well and educational resources as well. So this is the FLCCC site. This is a article about the study. Here is the study. This is the PDF to the study. And then a couple of more important links that would help with the context. And I would discuss them during the study itself. So now let's go for the drawings that I have done. First of all, the study is in the dead people. It is the patients who have died and the autopsy is done on their tissues. That is what the study is. So we are grateful for the ability to look at those tissues and understand and learn more. The patients who were present in this study, who were participant in this study, 44 patients who died between April 26, 2020 and March 2, 2021. So remember the vaccines had started somewhere in December of 2020. So just two, three months of the vaccination Although this particular study, the authors do not mention if these patients were vaccinated or not, my assumption is that, that they were not. However, it is not known. This study is a preprint and what it shows is the SARS-CoV-2 spreads systemically in the body and also persists in tissues other than the pulmonary tissue, that is the lung tissue, for months. So the 44 patients, their autopsies were done within 26 hours or so, mean time, of their death, their tissue and the fluids were collected. 38 of these patients 
had actually been zero converted. That is, their body was fighting with the virus. Their body had made antibodies were detectable. Why is that important? If somebody has for months the virus persisting and replicating in their tissues and they're also mounting a response, then there is a problem, there is a gap between the response and the virus's ability. And we'll discuss that a little later, that the authors think that this may be because of defective virus particles that are able to replicate but not able to complete their assembly. And that trash builds up in the cells. The abstract is this. The virus they saw widely distributes in patients even if they died with asymptomatic to mild cases. There were two cases where the symptoms were either not present or were mild. Even then, the patient had the virus widespread in their body. So that is one important thing. The second important thing is the virus was in replicative state. So it was not that if somebody dies, and I had mentioned this in the past, that when people die of an infection, then there can be viremia and then the virus and the virus particles can be found in so many body tissues as the tissues start breaking down. However, if you find a cell and within the cell, the virus is actually found in replicating state, then that can only happen when the person was alive. And that is an indication of the infection of that tissue and the presence of the virus and replication of the virus. So they saw in some patients virus present in the tissues and replicating up to 230 days. Although the 230 days I think is not an entirely correct way of presenting it and I would show it to you in the tables of this manuscript. The reason is that the 230 days patient was chronically immunosuppressed patient and it is known that in immunosuppressed patients virus can continue to live in them without actually getting removed and can be found in their tissues. So that's not a great example. However, you would see other patients who were not immunosuppressed and they would have the virus for 90 days or so on. So that is, we knew before from Chinese studies that the virus could live in the GIT lining for up to 59 days. It could be shedding even after the symptoms for up to 59 days. Here you would see that the virus could be present, is present, in patients beyond that time. They also observed something very interesting and that was they saw within one person, so intra-individual, within one person, they saw that multiple variations of the virus were found in various tissues. That was very interesting. And then another hugely important point, from a clinical point of view it is important, that is that other than the pulmonary system, other than the respiratory system, the authors did not find a lot of inflammation occurring in other tissues. So the main area of infection and inflammation is pulmonary tissue. And then even when the virus is systemically distributed, other tissues do not get as much of the inflammation as the lungs get. And it is understandable that if, let's say, we all developed with the SARS-CoV-2 similar kind of inflammation as in the lungs, in our brains, then we would not survive at all. So these are important points and that is the basic summary. Now let's continue towards the next part. So what is the conclusion of the authors? Author's conclusion was viral persists and replicates system-wide 
for months and may contribute to long COVID. Now let's look at some details of this study. So again, 44 patients who died, 29.5% were females, 70.5% were males. Then there was diversity for the race and ethnicity in these patients. The mean age was 59.2 years. 95.5% had at least one comorbidity. 81.8% required intubation and invasive ventilation. 22.7% ended up on ECMO. 40.9% had renal replacement therapy also needed. And 35.2 days were the mean time to death from the initial symptoms. The tissue samples and the body fluids were collected within a mean time of 26.2 hours. 79 of 85 anatomic sites were used to collect the samples. So they collected samples on, let's say, brain and pulmonary system and skin and endocrines and so on. We'll look into that. Now, before we continue, this question needs to be answered that how did they know that the virus was present in other tissues in replicative state? What was their proof? What was their clue to that? Or was it just the RNA floating around in the body fluids and the blood that when the patient was dying and the barriers were breaking and the tissues were decaying or degrading, at that time that RNA just entered the cells? So what they did was they looked at the RNA's presence in the cells for nucleocapsid proteins. Now nucleocapsid protein is of course present in the virus itself and not in the vaccine. So these patients were for sure infected by the virus. That is one. Secondly, if you see here, let's say this is the viral RNA. The viral RNA itself is divided into many smaller sub-RNAs or we call them sub-genomic RNAs. This is a very interesting thing. Imagine if the virus, virus's genome, is a big book of recipes. So within the book of recipes, there are recipes to make chicken and beef and the salads and vegetarian foods and so on. Within that book, the whole RNA, when you open up the area where, let's say, the chicken soup is shown how to make, that will be called a recipe. In the genetic terms, that will be called a subgenomic RNA or a piece of RNA that can give rise to a protein that is functional. Now, presence of subgenomic RNA is a clue to replicating virus. What does that mean? When the virus enters a cell and brings its RNA in the cell, that big RNA is translated into a polyprotein or a big protein. That protein has enzymes, 3CL-PRO or M-PRO. There are enzymes in that protein whose job is to pick up that big RNA and make copies of that RNA for the daughters, plus break some of those RNAs. So not all copies would stay whole. Some of the copies will be broken down into smaller pieces. And then those smaller pieces of RNA will be inserted again into ribosomes to make more proteins. And those tiny proteins are going to be the enzymes of the virus, or they're going to be small building blocks of the virus. So these are the subgenomic RNAs. The presence of subgenomic RNA means that in this specific cell where you find SGRNA, 
in that cell the virus replication was going on the virus enzymes were working they were cutting the rna into smaller pieces to make more viruses if on the other hand some rna floating around in the body tissues or the fluids or the blood went and that rna somehow entered the cell which is impossible but let's say if it did you will not find subgenomic rnas in the, those cells so this was an important clue to make sure that the virus was present in replicative state the presence of sgrna and you would see in this manuscript that they found sgrna in these tissues another important thing is they classified the patients according to the duration of illness before their death so they were early patients 17 in number and these were the patients who died within 14 days of the initial infection mid patients were 13 in number these died within 15 to 30 days of initial infection and then late patients were those who died 31 days and after their initial infection and some of them over here 80 days later 90 days later 230 days later and so on now what tissues were collected and sampled and observed they had collected tissues from brain including the cerebrum the brain stem cerebellum they had collected peripheral nerve tissue they have collected lung tissues and in the lung the airways plus the lung tissue git cardiovascular system lymphoid tissue for example lymph nodes spleen liver pieces of gallt and malt so malt is mucosa associated lymphoid tissue that is the lymphoid tissue around the mucosa gallt is gut associated lymphoid tissue again these are the lymphoid tissue clusters present near the surfaces of the wet surfaces endocrine tissue for example thyroid suprarenal and so on kidneys so they called it renal and endocrine system together reproductive system uterus ovaries testis muscle skin adipose tissue so a huge number of samples were taken and diverse samples were taken what they found was the largest burden of nucleocapsid rna was present in the respiratory system and what was that more than 100000 n that is nucleocapsid n gene copies per nanogram of rna so that was the number that was in the lung now to give you a context the author said that in some tissues the amount was equal to or more than 5 nucleocapsid gene copies per nanogram of rna and they called it high so if 5 is high you can imagine 100000 is very high so the highest burden was found in the respiratory system then other tissues had at least if you read here other tissues were found to have at least 100 n gene copies per nanogram of rna so summary of this is that all tissues that they had sampled they had significant amount of presence of nucleocapsid rna or the viral sars-cov-2 virus rna those patients who were late in all of them they found virus in their brain as well so 90.9% of the patients had the virus in their brain tissue 97.7% of the patients had the virus in their pulmonary tissue 79.5% in the cardiovascular tissue 72.7% in GIT, 86.4% in the lymphoid. And I would suspect 
that the virus RNA present in the lymphoid tissue is interesting. However, here not only just the virus RNA but sgRNA is present as well. That means in those lymphoid tissues, actual infection had occurred. 63.6% of the patients had viral NG copies and gene copies in their kidney and the endocrine system. 42.5% in their reproductive system. 68.2% of the patients had the viral copies or virus gene copies in their muscles, skin and adipose tissues. Then they say that the burden of the virus genome reduced as the, the stages became mid and late. What they mean is that as the patient stayed infected, the patient's body and immune system continued to fight and continue to try to clear the virus. So the longer the duration of the infection, the lesser the copies, but still copies present. And here, as you can see, burden reduced in mild and late cases. Still, several mid and late cases had high levels. And look at the high level, they say, equal or greater than 5 NG gene copies per nanogram of RNA. And then they say in the late cases, those who died months after, in them, 61.5% of mild, that is 15 days to 30 days, 61.5% of those patients had sgRNA in them, in their tissues. And late patient, that was 31 days and onwards, up to 230 days, they had 42.9% of those patients had sgRNA in them, that means replicating virus in them. This group should not have had replicating virus other than maybe present in the GIT for about two months and that's it. However, they found it to be almost everywhere, including brain. Then they talk about the cell tropism. Cell tropism is what kind of cells were infected. And I want to show you, this was such a long list that it was not practical to write it down here. So let me just very quickly show you the cell tropism. Look at the type of cells. They say that overall, we detected SARS-CoV-2 RNA via ISH, their testing method, in 36 distinct cell types across all sampled organs. Heart contains spike RNA within myocytes, muscle of the heart, endothelium, the lining of the heart and the blood vessels, and smooth muscles of blood vessels. Blood vessels have smooth muscles in them in their walls, which help the blood vessel increase or reduce their diameter. That is called vasoactivity. Pericardium, which is the layers around the heart, demonstrated a positive signal for spike RNA within fibroblasts of the stroma. Pericardium is a covering of the heart which is made up of the connective tissue. So the cells that help make that connective tissue are called fibroblasts. So fibroblast had the infection. Intimal cells of the aorta. So aorta is a large vessel, correct? And so it has multiple layers in its wall. So one layer is called tunica intima and that layer had the infection. Aortic cell layers had the infection. And remember they, they found RNA and they found sgRNA. So it is not just that the virus RNA was floating around, there was replication. Additionally found to contain spike RNA, that was the aorta. Mononuclear leukocytes within the lymph nodes spleen and appendix of an early case contained spike RNA and did colonic epithelium, as did colonic epithelium, colon. Epithelial cells along the intestinal tract in early cases, 
as well as stratified squamous epithelium of esophagus. Mononuclear leukocytes were again visualized with SARS-CoV-2 RNA in lymphoid aggregates in the interstitium of the small and large intestine, so GIT. I'm just giving you some examples. They found it even in the colon. Kupfer cells, the cells present in the liver, kupfer cells, hepatocytes, bile duct epithelium within the liver were additionally found to contain spike RNA. Within the kidney, spike RNA could be visualized within the parietal epithelium of Bowman's capsule. So the, the functional unit of the kidney, the nephron, has multiple parts. So he's talking about or they are talking about various parts. Adrenal gland, suprarenal glands, the glands that are associated with producing adrenaline, etc. And with the water balance. So Bowman's adrenal gland contained the spike RNA within endocrine cells. Endocrine follicular cells of thyroid and glandular cells of the pancreas were also positive for spike RNA. Then spike RNA was visualized within Leydig and Sertoli cells of testis, germ cells within the testicular tubules, the sperms or sperm-making cells, endometrial gland epithelium, so uterus, endometrial stromal cells, uterine smooth muscle cells and stromal cells of the postmenopause ovary. Myocytes within the skeletal muscles contain spike RNA in both early and late cases. Endothelium as well. Then muscularis of atrial vessel, Schwann cells which are the covering of the neuronal system. Schwann cells were infected. Spike RNA was found in neurons, glia and ependyma. These are the connective tissue cells and the immune system cells of the brain. Neurons are neurons. These are the brain or the processing units of the nervous system, as well as endothelium of vessels across all lobes of the brain of early, mid and late cases. The blood vessels of the brain were infected. Then within the cerebellum, cerebellum, the most important part for the you know, coordination of the movement and correctly executing the movement and the correct pacing and distance measurement, planning of the movement. Within the cerebellum, specifically neurons, Purkinje cells, endothelium of vascular also contained spike proteins. So then they have the histological findings as well, which is interesting, but I'm not going to go into that detail. Then the question becomes, why? Why is the SARS-CoV-2 present in the cells for so long after. And so they, their conjecture, they do not know why. So their conjecture is the following, and I'm going to explain it. I think this is a fascinating theory that they have. So they say that these data coupled with ISH suggest that SARS-CoV-2 can replicate within tissue for over three months after infection in some individuals with RNA failing to clear from multiple compartments for up to 230 days. This persistence of viral RNA and sgRNA may represent infection with the defective virus, which has been described in persistent infection with measles virus. Another single-stranded enveloped RNA virus in case of subacute sclerosing panencephalitis. So let me quickly explain what they're talking about here. What is the theory that they are hanging their hat on? That theory is this. They say that in some patients, so let's say here is a neurons, let's make a neuron. I always think of neuron as a big scruffy little cell. So let's say this is a neuron with this Schwann cell layer on it. And let's make this little, okay, so 
let's give it eyes make it a little sad so here are the dendrites dendrites are the ones little branches through which the input signals arrive to the neuron and then exon this long thread exon is where the signal transmits from the neuron to the other neurons or other tissues now what they said was it is found in some patients not all in some patients of measles the measles virus is found present in vesicles of the neuron just sitting there and replication competent but why is it not getting out and why is this not getting cleared the reason they think is the following let's say this is the rna of the measles virus this rna has a set of genes that is responsible to help build the envelope of the rna it is found that in the case of measles these genes become defective and now your question will be why so sometimes when the virus is replicating in our tissues the daughter cells are like their parent cells competent and fine and they would continue the infection then they may be even more smarter and more fit daughter cells that would even take over the previous parent and then they can actually be defective daughter cells that are not going to continue so here is an example of a defective daughter cell that has its gene specifically the building part the enveloping part gene is defective the rest of the virus is fine so what happens is within this cell the virus is actually replicating because all the enzymes are fine the rna is fine so more rnas are formed more sgrnas we're still talking measles not sars-cov-2 but similar mechanism may be possible however when the time comes even other parts of the virus are formed and this is all happening in vesicles especially the endoplasmic reticulum correct so when the time comes to actually build individual viruses from it to create an envelope around them that step or that stage fails so now inside this reticulum is this trash sitting in replication competent virus but defective this can stay on for years in case of measles and slowly cause encephalitis and that encephalitis is what they are talking about pan encephalitis the whole brain's inflammation so it does not have a lots of inflammation right away of course it takes 3 4 5 years for the inflammation to have enough impact that means it's really low level inflammation and that inflammation slowly erodes the brain tissue they think a similar mechanism is probably occurring with sars-cov-2 where it is sitting in the cells it is not able to complete its build out but it is making more and more particles that are sticking in various vesicles within the cell the cells are frustrated they are carrying around this trash the trash continues to increase and there would be a baseline slow burn or slow inflammation and the body is still not able to body is very bad at removing trash which is hiding inside the cells intracellular debris debris removal is very tough for our body intracellular pathogen removal is also very tough this is why you know that whenever there is intracellular pathogen or there is a cancer body actually just destroys that whole cell because body doesn't have a mechanism to get into the cell and remove the trash out other than one possibility and that is autophagy in case of red blood cells you may actually read 
In case of red blood cells, sometimes red blood cells have impurities in them, which can be picked up by the and munched out by the macrophages present in the spleen. But that's a special case. Normal cells cannot have the things stuck in them removed by the immune system. So these cells would stay frustrated and they would continue to produce base, slow burn of inflammation. So back here, then they also say the mechanism contributing to PASC, post-acute sequelae or long COVID, are still being investigated. However, ongoing systemic and local inflammatory response has been proposed to play a role. And I want to once again remind us, the audience here with the FLCCC, we are actually much more deeply aware of various kinds of pathologies and we keep learning new, thanks to the Dr. Paul Merrick, that we just are on top of these things. So this is one more mechanism. The mechanisms contributing to PASC are still being investigated. However, ongoing systemic and local inflammatory responses have been proposed to play a role. Our data provide evidence for delayed viral clearance but do not support significant inflammation outside of the respiratory tract even among patients who died months after the symptom onset. And now finally, I want to show you their table 2 which is at the line 854. So here if you see, the very first column is the patient number, second column is the sex of the patient, third column is age in years, then duration of illness is the fourth and then BMI and other characteristics. Here if you see 25 days of illness, I think we are aware of it that even up to 60 days, 59 days after the in initial infection, 14 days, 14 days, 18 days, 42 days, 19, 7, 24, 66 days and this person male 43 was obese, 66 days of the viral presence. Then if you see here, 58 days. Here, look at this one, 82 days. Male, 48 years of age, obesity was a comorbidity, 82 days. 82 days of persistent virus. Then if you see here, 99 days. This patient had DM and HLD, 42 years male, 99 days, so more than three months. However, if you look at these, that went into 204 days, for example, patient number 29, if you see here, it says chronic immunosuppression. We have done this discussion in the past from South African studies that patients who have uncontrolled HIV, they may actually have SARS-CoV-2 living in them for years. And so using those patients' data to prove that the virus can sustain in a, or persist and replicate in a patient, I think is not the entirely accurate way. So in my opinion, that will be an outlier. In my opinion, that these two patients, there were two. This is 204, patient number 29. And then if you see patient number 42, 230 days. Also chronically immunosuppressed. I think these two patients' data should have been removed from this study because they were immunosuppressed. Still, authors actually used it to say that, hey, the virus persisted in some patients, even up to 230 days. I would take the other days. And so in the other patients, the longest period I'm seeing here is 99 days. So more than three months is a reasonable statement, but 230 days, in my opinion, is not. For me, when I was reading this study and I was looking into it, it becomes very important to understand 
that number one after the infection one has to do something to keep inflammation under control may that be curcumin or that may be quercetin or other flavonoids or light therapy or the sunlight or vitamin d's or reactive oxygen species antioxidants for example vitamin c and other these are very important even when we feel that we are feeling better number 1 and number 2 i believe we all have to look more deeply into autophagy and make sure that we do something to help induce autophagy so that this trash if present can be removed so this is the discussion thank you very much for your time see you next time bye for now